Can you tell me why? So this is a, a breaking down of a barrier. Can you tell me why? The solution could very well be... Can you tell me why? All of which really begs, I think, a bigger question. It just triggers all our instincts of wanting to know what happens then. Why do universities exist? I know a hell of a lot more now. I mean, how many academics do you want to hear in one day? So, welcome to Can You Tell Me Why, the podcast where we find surprising answers to difficult questions. My name is William Verity. My name is Hannah Laxton-Koontz. So, we are now on part two of How Can We Afford a House, Housing Affordability. Yes. Uh, Part one, we have to say that uh, we raised as many questions as we found answers. Are 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 you going to be able to tell me that I can afford a house by the end of this session? Well, you're just going to have to listen and see. It's it's slightly different. Uh, a different style of episode this time round because, as you said, every time I asked a question in the last episode, it raised another one. And so I decided that maybe we'll start to have a look at the kinds of houses that people are buying because one thing that I have noticed is that we have a ridiculous amount of housing estates popping up everywhere. I feel like I'm in an episode of Edward Scissorhands with all those like colourful houses that look exactly the same. Personally, I grew up in a nice little country town, so I think they look quite horrible and ugly. But with the amount that are popping up everywhere... There has to be a market for them. There's got to be buyers out there. And so there's actually someone at the University of Wollongong. His name is Charles Gillen. He's a student who's doing his PhD and he chose, elected by choice, he was fascinated by them, to study housing developments essentially. So, so we're talking housing developments on, on the edge of cities, are we? Or not necessarily? Just Not just necessarily on the edge of cities. However, suburban developments are the ones that you sort of see the most. But yeah, just looking at the kinds of trends that happen, um, they're very similar in the way that they try and market themselves. And, you know, the big question that I wanted answered from him is, you know, if there's so many of them, are they more affordable? Is this where I should be looking to buy? Yes, no, you're right about the way they market themselves. All have a kind of fancy entrance. Mm-hmm. They all have a fancy name. So yes. there's one I drive by, which is it's being... Like Willowvale. Or, yes, know. Willowvale, <laughs> which is near where I live, actually. <laughs> or MacArthur Heights. The, the big selling point of the MacArthur Heights is it's, it's close to the train station. It's also close to the freeway and the Island Road. So it's right in the middle <laughs> of just like transport nightmare. But you can walk to the train station. Yeah. Um, but be, once you get beyond the gate with the kind of the fancy name and the kind of fancy, you know, half-grown trees, what do you get? Mm. And you have to keep listening too because at the very end um, I speak to a financial advisor who's going to tell us how and if you can afford a house. So the steps that you need to take to be able to get that deposit secured in your bank account. Right. Okay, no more avocado for me. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. It had started by asking millennials about their thoughts on the housing market. So I think it's kind of unattainable. I haven't even thought about looking at moving or buying a house just because it doesn't seem like it'd be within the realm of possibility. I think there definitely needs to be more help for people to get into the market because, like, once you're paying rent, you're paying as much as you would be if you were just repaying a mortgage, but it's getting the deposit together. I'm sure there's a big economic thing. I'm not trained behind it, but when you look at, like, buying places or renting places or whatever you want to do, it just kind of seems not possible. Especially everything that goes around in the news and everything I hear about houses being way too expensive. I just would not even... wouldn't even give it a crack at the moment. (laughs) 
Now, if you haven't listened to part one, take a step back and listen from the start, because as it turns out, houses are a hell of a lot more complicated than I thought. The episode takes a dive into where this all began, why owning a home has become part of the Australian dream, as well as some of the factors driving the current prices. Take it from me, it's worth a listen. So now I've somewhat got a handle on the background, why not tackle another mystery in the housing saga? So you you know, you probably recognise them if you were driving around parts of southwest Sydney, like inner Sydney, places like that. Um, you know, large houses, um, quite uniform design features. Ah, uh, yes, I'm talking housing estates. The building envelope's usually pretty built upon. Um, four bedrooms designed for nuclear families, not that much variation in sort of the housing stock that's being built. That's Charles Gillen a graduate from the University of Wollongong, using his PhD to take a closer look into the rising popularity of master-planned estates. They're just quite interesting um, as case studies because, you know, you get this sort of snapshot of new-build housing. Um, You get to sort of see how people begin their housing journey, whether it's, you know, designing a house from a project template or, um, you know, maybe getting an architect to come and design it or... You know, people building their houses themselves, thinking really, you know, about what they want closely and carefully and um, sort of starting to see a place build from the ground up. And it's always been a foreign concept to me. So why have they become so popular? You know, there's a need for housing in Australia. Um, we have to be building new houses. The construction industry, you know, is one of the largest industries in Australia. Um, so there's a real push to be building new houses. Um, the way that master plan estates usually set out in terms of their layout is that they try and use as much land as possible, which is why you sort of get this uh, sort of stigmatisation of these places as being built next to each other, mm. um, building on top of each other, being able to see your neighbours and that sort of thing. Um, and part of that's true, but it's also that they're sort of trying to use as much space as they can. So maybe small backyards, but maybe having, you know, a communal area as a park or something like that to try and use different sorts of space. I mean, my personal bias doesn't really help here. To me, they all look like cookie-cutter houses, but for some people, that's part of the appeal. And this isn't a coincidence. So the script for these places is usually quite similar in terms of the way that they're promoted. Sort of around three or four different ideals, I guess. So around lifestyle, around security perhaps... Um, around community and around family. So these are sort of the the big, um, I guess, sort of ideals that come out of these places. And people are always trying to market them so that they might look a little bit more prestigious. Um, You know, I'm sure you've seen, like, in terms of the way that they're named, maybe Mm. it's about, you know, being somewhere heights or somewhere lakes or somewhere, you know, there's... there's, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, People are sort of trying to to jazz up an area, um, to put a particular sort of place brand on a place. So does buying in these types of developments make it any more affordable? It just sort of depends on where it is. So the further out from the centre of Sydney you get, the more affordable these places are, um, just because that's the housing market. So potentially um, it could be more affordable. But I think um, it, it still just sort of comes down to where you're trying to buy in terms of suburbs um, and thinking about, you know, the house purchase price, 
is that the thing that's sort of governing where you want to live? Um, because you, if you get a cheaper house out on, you know, on the outskirts of Sydney, you're still going to have to, you know, there's all kinds of other quite like costs that come into that as well in terms of commuting and hours lost um, during your day and maybe the services are a little bit less um, less available than they would be in inner yeah. Sydney and maybe there's not as many job opportunities and these sorts of things. Once again, it comes down to weighing up the costs, cost of location, cost of living and cost of commuting. And so it's back to the drawing board. But at the end of my chat with Charles, there was something else he said that probably was the closest I've come to a solid answer in this very big issue. I think our generation is sort of really interestingly placed in this property dream story Mm. because it's sort of so dreamlike that we're just sort of starting to reject it. Um, You know, there there are certain, you know, we've all got friends who are like quite savvy um, and, you know, already sort of starting to think about these investments and, you know, putting down payments on and this sort of thing. But, you know, the majority of people that I know and are talking to, you know, on a daily basis, um, housing isn't something that we really talk about. No, I think, um, yeah, a lot of people just aren't interested. Exactly. And I think that we're just, we're just really jaded with the situation. Um, you know, people talk about generational tensions or whatever else, you know, that the baby boomers have got houses and we're never going to have one, um, that we're going to be generation rent um, and, you know, just continue renting forever. Um, and maybe if our rental system looked a little bit more like Europe's where you can have five-year, ten-year rental agreements, um, maybe that would make more sense, you know. Um, so I think we're in a really interesting place for bringing about some form of change in this story, whether it's about not being able to afford things and, you know, if people want someone to buy something and we can't afford that something, then something's going to have to change. So maybe it's time to stop asking why and start asking how. And considering how many variables that go into the cost of housing, I thought it might be wise to push past the price and find some simple ways to start saving. It does require dedication, it does require planning, so you can't just on a whim decide, yes, that's what I want to do. You've got to take the steps to make that happen. That's Loretta Iskra, a financial planner teaching at the School of Accounting, Economics and Finance at the University of Wollongong. So part of the steps would be to sit down and think about, well, what kind of home am I looking at? Think about, okay, if you're looking for a home that's um, requiring a deposit of $50,000, then breaking it down, you might want to have a little bit of extra for some moving costs or other fees associated with buying a home. Just like to interject here about the saving, because actually I was reading a piece in The Guardian just this week about exactly this and Mm. about how it was a very good piece. It was saying that... um, how hard it is to actually save, mm. particularly if you're paying rent. Yeah. Um, and that when we talk about savings, what we're often talking about is gifts or inheritance. Mm. Uh, so a lot of, uh, I mean, certainly the only reason I own a house is because both sides of the family gave us money yeah. when we needed it. Um but also uh, either that or you save because you're, you're living at home. So 
and that's just another way of your family contributing to your savings. Yeah. Your family is essentially paying your rent for you. Well, it's funny you say that because I know my grandparents helped my parents and my aunties and uncles. Um, they eventually paid them back, but you know they gave them that helping hand. And then I also work with a girl who has a down payment on a house, and you know she's going to move into a brand new apartment that she will own in Wollongong, but she's living at home. So like you said, her parents are still in a way helping her out. Yeah. So it's uh, the reality is if you don't have family assistance, either in terms of money or in terms of something rent free, so you can live with them for five years and essentially save that rent for your own deposit, really you can't do it. And unless you're a banker or something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, I have made this point uh, during my journey. And the interesting thing that I got as, as a response, because I said, you know, well, if, you know, if you're relying on your parents to give you a helping hand, why should you be able to afford a house anyway? You know, you're clearly not financially stable enough to get a house if your parents help you out. Are they just, it's your impending doom? They said, well, you know... When your parents pass away, they're probably going to leave money to you eventually anyway. So maybe just consider it as an advance. Mm. So that did change my thought a little. Yeah, and then you're paying mortgage instead of rent. Mm. So thinking about, okay, well, what's my budget? What income am I earning? What payments do I need to pay? What's my rent? What's my house share costs? What's my food things? Um, Do I have any loans or other debts? So taking care of those as a priority and then looking at what extras are left over. Sometimes you might find there's not a lot left over, so therefore you've got to look at what areas you might need to squeeze out of your budget, what things you might need to forego. I think that's something that a lot of young people um, really struggle with. They really struggle to think about delayed gratification. They want to go on their holiday now. They want to go to that music festival now. They want to go out for dinner with their friends now. Do you think that that's something that people need to overcome or does it just sort of say something about their priorities when they say, oh, I want to save for a house, but then they're spending money every weekend going out with their friends? Look, I think the key is having um, an opportunity to enjoy life but also understanding the limits. And to start with a budget and know what's the absolute minimum you have to have to pay your bills as a starting point, but then thinking about as much as you might want to enjoy life now, that's a priority, what's the implication, what's the consequence of that for you for later? If you are wanting to achieve your dream of a house within five to ten years and you want to have a deposit, then allocating that $250 a week, for example, as savings for that home allows you to know, okay, I've you know used up my spending limit for this week. If I eat, have any more eating out or extra coffees, then I'm taking away from the potential to have my home loan deposit in that five years. All right, but going in blind can not only be daunting, but also ineffective, which is why Loretta has three key steps to follow. I think ultimately you've got to visualise your priorities, think about what's important to you. Um, You've got to start planning for how you're going to achieve um, those goals, dreams or reach your priorities. And in so doing, that requires you to think about putting together a budget. So the top three things would be to visualise, to identify your goal, to set out how much it would cost, think about that in terms of doing some research, setting out a budget and working towards achieving those dreams. And in doing so, you want to think about reducing any personal loan debts or home loan um, credit card debts. Um, that's a priority, and then building your savings up as you can. 
But a major part of being young or being a student is being time poor, working casual and having unstable finances. But this doesn't always have to stop you stashing away that extra cash. Probably some things that you need to think about is with working casually, maybe you need to consider how much super you've got around and whether there's any super that you've misplaced. For example, myself, I recently received mail to say two of my supers had become lost and did I want to do something about it. So quite often when you're working casually, even though you might think that you've dealt with all the paperwork with starting the new casual job, you receive mail to say, hang on, this super looks lost, what do you want to have happen with it? So in terms of working casually, making sure you keep track of your super is really important. Whether it's a dream for now or one in the future, it's definitely clear that doing your homework is the key. Government does have incentives to allow people to save on a regular basis. So there are actual caps or limits for each year that people can put money into super. And if you're not taking care of the longer term priorities that you might have, you miss out on being able to deposit into super when you need to for later on. So putting little bits of money away into super now could also give you a benefit of free money from the government um, as an incentive to save in those little increments along the way. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you're looking to take up the offer in a new master planned estate, looking to buy in your dream location, or happy just to buy at all. There's a hell of a lot more to this pricing saga than the houses themselves. We've looked at location, supply and demand, access to jobs and commuting costs. It's a complex landscape, and I think Charles is right when he says it won't be long before we start to see things change. Oh God, I wish I was the kind of person who could put t put $250 a week for five years to save for yeah. a deposit. I just, I don't know anybody like that. I think about when I, I took a gap year when I finished high school and I saved like crazy so that I could go to Europe. But it was the fact that I knew that it was such a short time. You know, I had set aside six months that I was going to save and I worked three jobs and very often 14-hour days, but I knew I only had to do it for six months. And so I was like, that's fine. I can do this. But like you said, five years. Well, and then it's not like it's finished after no. five years. That just gets that's you the your deposit. Down and then you've got another 30 years of more of the same. Just, yeah. What, what kind of life is that? I know. And and like Charles said as well, um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if we do see a change. Maybe we're going to see renting become made a, a little bit more appropriate for long term. You know, if you could sign a lease for five years, would you see more people saying, you know, I, I can't really be bothered to buy a house. I'd much prefer to just sign a long term lease. Yeah, because that's clearly one of the big things that I've found with renting is having to move every six months or a year. Yeah. I mean, um, we were talking about before that, mm. you know, I just went through this process and having to clean your old house, having to, in a rush, find a new house, go to inspections, move all your stuff across, fill out condition reports. It's not glamorous. No, it's not glamorous. <laughs> it's very stressful. <laughs> yeah. And you can't have a veggie garden. No, or a dog. Or a dog. Oh, yes. That is my dream at the moment. I want a house yeah. just so I can have a dog. I wonder if we're going to see a lowering of the population of dogs in the next 30 years. I know, because <laughs> all the millennials are stuck in apartments that won't allow you to have any pets. You can have a rabbit or a yes. bird, but you can't have a dog. Kids will be saying, Mum, what's a dog? <laughs> <laughs> Break my heart. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, it's a slightly depressing, slightly depressing. I'm not, I'm, I don't feel I'm any closer to achieving what 
actually once, the dream that I once attained has now slipped through my fingers. I know. Although I feel like you may not have the golden answer that you wanted, I do feel like that it has answered a lot of other questions that I had going into this. And I also feel armed with a lot more information about why things are the way they are. I mean, I've never really considered the fact that, you know, if if you do choose to buy a cheaper house and live further away, you may f- struggle to find a job or you may have to give up more of your money and more of your time commuting to that job that you want. So, you know, you really do have to weigh up all of these different variables in or when you're making this kind of big decision. Yes, although for someone, who, uh, that's exactly me. I live out of the city, like mm. an hour out of the city in a very beautiful part of the world. But but uh, it does give me two things, give me a kind of schadenfreude about the people in Sydney in the eastern suburbs. Mm. One is they have cockroaches, I don't. <laughs> I remind myself that. And second is even on a weekend, in fact, especially on a weekend, it's a headache to get around. Whereas yeah. in my little country town... I it's just, a lot easier. Well, it's just you just go places and park. That is true. Very, very so true. I kind of feel... Maybe I'm not as poor as all that. <laughs> exactly. All right. So housing. So what have we got? That we've only got one to go now. I know. We're heading down so, to the real business end of things. What do you have for yeah, us next so time? Appropriately, the, <laughs> the last one is about death. Oh, how beautiful. <laughs> Actually, no, it's about life. It's about life. Let's be, let's be positive. I'm in a negative frame of mind today. Um, it's about life, not death. It's about how we can cheat death. That um, there is some extraordinary work going on here at the University of Wollongong, um, which is about uh, well, let's let's hear a little bit and it might explain. We can't build things. We can't make ourselves obsolete and bring technological uh, devices into our body or change our fourteen vital organs into something other than that, so that we can live forever. I think that is somewhat hubris. And engineers thinking they can solve all problems when some problems really need <laughs> some divine to, to solve them. All right. Okay. So you've definitely intrigued me. You've pricked my ears up because. Yes. So, so basically, we can, there, we can print human organs, which means that for the first time ever, we are within shouting distance of. At the very least, really extraordinarily increased lifespans and possibly even immortality. Is that something that we should want, do want? I don't know. Have you seen uh, on Netflix at the moment they have a new show called Altered Carbon, which is very similar about this, that you you are your brain essentially and that your, your outer figure, your body is just a shell that you're just taken in and out of. So maybe, as you said... We might be on our way to that. Mm, I hope I die before that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to Can You Tell Me Why, the podcast where we get surprising answers to difficult questions. If you'd like to get any more information about what we discussed in this episode or anything else, head over to The Stand at stand.uow.edu.au. That's stand.uow.edu.au. My name is Hannah Laxton-Koontz. My name's William Verity. And we'll catch you next time.